A new poll shows President Trump is leading Biden in five key swing states, all of which Biden won in 2020. This is huge. And a staggering number of black voters are jumping ship on Biden, abandoning Biden in favor of Trump. We'll get to the details. But look, the poll does not surprise me in the least. The results do not surprise me that voters are choosing Trump over Biden. But what is surprising is that it came from the New York Times. That's the source of this poll. And the question is, why is the New York Times not rigging this poll, the numbers in favor of Joe Biden, in favor of the Democrats, as they usually do? So I'm going to explain their real motives coming up. A Democrat politician in California was arrested for DUI, driving under the influence, after she lost control and crashed into two parked cars. This was a Democrat, as I said, and she insists she was not drunk. At first, she insisted she wasn't drunk until a breathalyzer proved otherwise. She was completely sober. She said that the reason that she slammed into multiple cars was because she had a sneezing fit. You cannot make this stuff up. Don't you hate it when you're driving on the road and you start to sneeze and then you crash into two parked cars? Very credible story there, except one problem. Witnesses detected the distinct smell of alcohol on her breath. She was slurring her words, highly impaired. And, you know, that's the thing is sneezing. Could it make you lose control of a car? Maybe, at least if you're a Democrat, I guess it could. But would sneezing make you slur your words and smell like alcohol? I don't recall that ever happening to me when I sneeze. All right, President, we'll give you more details later about that. President Obama has justified the Hamas terror attack, said, made comments very similar to Antonio Guterres of the, the head of the UN. And we'll tell you about Obama's comments coming up. A resolution in Congress to censure anti-Semite Rashida Tlaib has been shot down by a group of Republicans. Most Democrats or all Democrats voted against this resolution. This resolution was put forth by MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene, but a group of 23 Republicans joined with the Democrats and shot down this resolution to censure Tlaib over her anti-Semitism. So that's a little bizarre. That's coming up. President Biden is becoming exceedingly pro-Muslim. He's suddenly obsessed with Islamophobia, pro-Gaza. What's happening is Biden is starting to lose support from Muslim voters. Muslim voters are a crucial demographic for Biden. Uh, you know, Remember, it comes down to these five or six states. It comes down to Michigan, to Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona. It comes down you know, to Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio. It comes down to six states. The entire election comes down to like 100,000 voters in these large cities in these big states like Detroit, Philadelphia, etc. And the Muslim population in some of those cities, Detroit, the Muslim population in Detroit is crucial to Joe Biden winning or whichever Democrat. Same thing with with Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So they're unhappy that Biden is supporting Israel, opposing Hamas. And now suddenly Biden, every other word out of his mouth, not that he talks very often in public, is two-state solution Islamophobia. So we'll bring you those details coming up. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show. We are on VIN News, Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio. Send us an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. All right, so the Republicans in the House passed this bill, and it's bipartisan. I believe some Democrats voted in favor as well. Passed a bill to send funding to Israel, $14.3 billion to Israel in funding. There's no Ukraine in there. There's no border package in there. It's purely, strictly about Israel. And it, and by the way, the Republicans, you know, and led by Mike Johnson, my new favorite speaker of the House, they, they, they did not put anything in the bill. They could have, like, hijacked this and said, all right, well, we're going to put these other things that we care about because uh, we it's an Israel funding bill, so it has to get passed, so let's throw some other things in there, too. 
And they, they could have put in border wall and border security funding, which is something they are very pushing very hard for. They did not. This is just money to Israel. Anyway, it's dead on arrival in the Senate. Even Republicans in the Senate seem to be refusing to, refusing to support it. We'll see where this all goes. But as of now, the Senate is saying we are not going to vote on this bill. And Republicans like Lindsey Graham say they don't like this bill because th- this bill, do- bill doesn't include funding for Ukraine. You've got to include funding for Ukraine. Now, they're, they're politicizing this. The people who say that they don't want to, Biden says he's going to veto this bill. We all agree about this, I think. You know, the Republicans in the Senate, you have a bill right now on the table, $14.3 billion, and that is funding for Israel. Everybody agrees that that's extremely desperately needed right now. So Republicans, Democrats, I don't care who, anyone who says, listen, I'm not going to do this because I want the bill to include other things also, that's, that's disgraceful. It's egregious. You're totally politicizing funding to Israel, which should not be a political matter. That's number one. Now, Callers have said to me uh, that uh, Mike Johnson politicized this. He was the first to. And I want to get into this a little bit because it's important. They say, look, the Democrats were very clear. Joe Biden, he's the president. He was very clear. He said, I'm only going to support funding for Israel if it includes funding for Ukraine. So that could be terrible. We could bash that, slam that from today till tomorrow. Rightfully so. Biden, it's it's a total disgrace. You want funding for Ukraine? Discuss funding for Ukraine. You want funding for Israel? Discuss that. And there's other funding you want. Don't clump them together. They are separate conversations. They do not need to be interdependent on one another. There's only one reason that Biden is saying that they're intertwined because he's so desperate for funding for Ukraine and he knows that it's off the table because it's so corrupt and we've sent so much money there and it's total waste that he wasn't going to get it from the Republican-led Congress. So this is his ticket. That's the only reason Biden. So Biden literally exploiting the tragedy, the horrific terror attack, the war in Israel for his own political gain. That's that, 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 that's clear. But callers are saying to me, yeah, but Mike Johnson's also politicizing this because you know what he should say? He should say, listen, President, and, and, and look, I'm torn on this. I'll be totally honest. I'm just going to give you kind of my analysis. Uh, you, you make your own judgment, which is what we try to do. Is They, they say to me, listen, you got to be practical. Mike Johnson knows Biden said to him, I'm not going to sign a bill if it doesn't include Ukraine funding. That could be terrible. We could hem and haul. We could get all upset about that. But at the end of the day, you're only going to get the money to Israel. By the way, I don't necessarily subscribe to this 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 uh, premise, but you're only going to get the funding to Israel if you include funding for Ukraine. So now Johnson, by not including funding for Ukraine, he's the one politicizing because Biden said, you want funding for Israel, you got to include Ukraine. And Johnson said, no, I'm not going to include Ukraine. Doesn't Johnson know that the only way he's getting that money to Israel, that's the, 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 the logic that they're saying. They're saying, so Johnson's the one politicizing this because you got to cave into Biden, even if you hate it, even if it makes you sick, but you have to get that money to Israel, so you got to go by Biden's demands. Well, I just want to point out, and look, I hear what you're saying, but here's the other side. Biden could include anything he wants in this package, in theory. Let's say he included a trillion dollars in food stamps, a tr- trillion dollars in socialist programs, a trillion dollars in funding for electric vehicles. I, you know, but let's say Biden decided, you know what, let's stuff all these things in with Israel's funding because it's, we, we know they have to vote yes. Would you, you would draw the line, you would not agree, you would not let Biden hijack the bill. You would not just include everything and the kitchen sink. Because, well, Biden said that's the only way to get money to Israel. Everyone's going to draw a line somewhere. You're not going to let Biden stuff all sorts of things that you don't uh, support because, well, we got to get the money to Israel. So my point is, where do you draw the line? So Mike Johnson right now, and this is how it goes. This is typical Washington politics. But Mike Johnson is saying, I'm not going to let him include funding for Ukraine. Let's first pass money for Israel. Let's get them on record that they don't want to send money to Israel. Let's get them to shoot it down. And then we'll take it to the next step if need be, need be. But like, don't just stuff everything in there just because Biden said the the funding doesn't originate in in, in the in the in the White House and in, in the executive branch. It, it originates in the legislative branch and specifically the House. Usually, that's how the, that's what the Constitution says. So 
that's my point is everybody's going to draw a line somewhere. And this is typical Washington politics. This is what they do is they take something. This is the 9-11 funding. They did this with relief funding for first responders, believe it or not. Um, they literally, they take something which is, or they do this with like FEMA aid, like emergency funding when there's like a hurricane like Katrina. They'll stuff other things they want because oh, the other side has to vote for it. And the other side says, no, oh, they're the ones politicizing it. So to say, oh, Mike Johnson's politicizing it. Maybe, maybe not. But like, if you just always cave into this kind of thing, you're going to let them hijack every bill and there's going to be all sorts of things you're voting for you don't believe it. All right. Meanwhile, Biden is calling for a pause, a humanitarian pause. I love this. Uh, they, they keep talking about a pause. Now, Anthony Blinken and Biden, the U.S. The government, they are pressuring Bibi Netanyahu for not a ceasefire, but a pause. A pause is a cease. P- pause and cease are synonyms. Cease means to stop and pause means to stop. I guess pausing is shorter than ceasing. A ceasefire, I guess, is supposed to last longer. It, look, it's irrelevant. It wouldn't make any practical difference. You know, Israel is, is resisting. They're not going to allow humanitarian. The humanitarian pause, the idea is that it gives, in theory, it gives people in Gaza the ability to get more supplies, to be able to walk around freely, and I guess it'll help the people in Gaza survive a little bit longer. But here's the problem. And now, number one, obviously, it allows Hamas to regroup. It allows Hamas, any pause you give them in the fighting, Hamas can then go. First of all, some of them are trying to escape through the Egyptian Rafah border, these, these terrorists, and it allows the terrorists to regroup, to get supplies, to, you know, get weapons, etc., and uh, it, it just all it does is benefit them. A pause would just benefit them. And Israel is resisting. But I don't even understand the point of the pause, because what's the point of the pause? Let's say you get some supplies right now. Uh, th- this is a very, very volatile situation in Gaza, obviously. I mean, they're bombing them, you know, from today till tomorrow. And now they have the ground invasion. So the idea to me, the only thing that helps the people of Gaza right now is get this over as quickly as possible. Their lives are in danger. Their lives are in turmoil. They don't have supplies. They don't have anything, you know, basic. So, so what are you going to do? You're going to have a pause. It gives them a day. It gives them 12 hours or a day. That's the most they're going to do. And and, uh, and then what? So they get the supplies. They get the food. They get the water. And then the fighting resumes. And then it's just a war zone again. And 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 that it was a very temporary that pause. Other than giving, like I said, the terrorists the ability to regroup, what does it actually do for the civilians? It just prolongs the agony. In other words, anyone who survives this, hopefully at the end of the other end, there's some kind of better quality of life. But right now, it's still the war zone. A few hours break in the war zone. All right, they get some supplies, fine. But like longer term, all that does is prolong this. They just need to get this thing over. So I'm not even sure what exactly a pause. I understand it's a very, very short term Band-Aid fix of like, all right, at least they get food and water. To, to make it for the next few days. But that that really, all that does, anything, any prolonging this to me really only hurts them in the long run. They just want this thing to be over and done with. All right, so like I said, Biden is obsessing over Islamophobia and like amazing how uh, radical Islamic terrorists attack Jews. And now, of course, there's a surge in anti-Semitism and the only hate crimes that the Biden and, and the White House are discussing is for the most part, Islamophobia can't make this stuff up. Now, why is he doing that? As I said, and I'm going to read you here from an AP article, because uh, Biden's terrified right now about losing the vote of the Muslim community. So here's a quote from AP. President Biden's administration is preparing to announce a national strategy to combat Islamophobia as it faces skepticism from many in the Muslim American community over its staunch support of Israel's military assault on Hamas. The White House announcement was originally expected last week. Biden had a meeting with Muslim leaders, but it was delayed in part due to concerns from the Muslim community that the administration lacked credibility given its robust support for Israel, um, whose strikes against Hamas militants, I'm quoting the AP, have killed thousands of civilians in Gaza. The launch of the anti-Islamophobia strategy 
has been anticipated for months after the administration in May announced a strategy to combat anti-Semitism and then made a reference to hate against Muslims. And now, but listen to this. This is the most egregious part of the AP article. Listen to this. Again, it's talking about how, number one, the Muslim community is getting very skeptical, getting very annoyed at Biden because he's actually supporting Israel after Israel suffered the worst atrocities since the Holocaust. And uh, the in, in response, Biden trying to pander. So listen to this. This is the AP quote. Incidences of anti-Jewish and anti-Muslim hate have skyrocketed since the October 7th attack. Um, one of the most prominent attacks was the killing of six-year-old Wadia al-Fayyum and the wounding of his mother in an attack that prosecutors allege was driven by Islamophobia. The only attack, they're talking about the surge in hate, the AP, the disgraceful AP, they're talking about the surge in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And the one attack, the, the one of the most prominent attacks, but it's the only one they mentioned, it was the killing of six-year-old and a six-year-old Muslim boy and the wounding of his mother. It's horrific. It was in the Chicago area, and it seems to have been connected. I mean, it's not like he was killed. It's not like a Jew was the, is the suspect, but it was obviously – I shouldn't say obviously because nothing's obvious. Who knows? But it seems that it came in response. It came out of anger and outrage at the Muslim community, and they killed this poor, innocent six-year-old boy. And it's heartbreaking. My heart goes out. You know, I, 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 it's a, it's a very, very, very tragic situation, and I have no words to describe the, how immense a tragedy it is. So I'm not diminishing it at all. But like the AP, really, that's the one, the one incident they're talking about the skyrocketing of anti-Jewish and anti-Muslim hate, which I have, I don't even see any evidence of that there's a skyrocketing of anti-Muslim hate. There's skyrocketing of anti-Semitism. That's hard to miss. You have to be living in a cave to miss that. But, but uh, there's no skyrocketing of anti-Islam that, that I've seen. But either way, that's the one example, that is the one example the AP can give. All right, meanwhile, Rami Nashashibi, founder of Inner City Muslim Action Network in Chicago, uh, talking about Biden's anti-Islamophobia strategy. He was very skeptical. He said the effort will be dead on arrival until Biden forcefully condemns members of the far-right government of Bibi Netanyahu. Um, and he wants Biden to apologize or at least clarify his recent comments, apologize for or at least clarify his recent comments when he said he had no confidence in the death count from Gaza because that death count comes from the Hamas health ministry. So Biden, and I give credit to Biden, I was shocked that he said this. Reporters asked him about the death toll in Gaza and Biden says, well, I don't put so much stock into that. I was actually blown away. And again, that's Biden, something he never would say if he had all of his faculties. He's actually telling the truth because he doesn't have the cognitive ability to kind of filter out and say the politically correct thing. I'm telling you, that's what happened there. So he said that ah, comes from the Hamas. Uh, it it's run, comes from the health ministry, which is basically run by Hamas. So it does it has no credibility. And the Muslim population in America, in New York, in America, I'm sorry, Chicago wants him to apologize or at least clarify those comments. President Obama appeared on a podcast called Pod Save America, and he made comments appearing to justify the massacre. He said that Israel's occupation is unbearable. This is what he said. He said that, yes, Hamas's actions were horrific, but Israel's occupation is unbearable. There's no occupation in Gaza. There has not been any occupation in Gaza. Uh, Israel controlled Gaza back in until 2005. And in 2005, as we know, Israel unilaterally, they completely withdrew from Gaza. They, they completely left Gaza and gave Gaza to the Palestinians. At the time, they gave it to uh, really Fatah. They really gave it to the same as, you know, group running the Palestinian Authority, which turned out to be Mahmoud Abbas. But then, of course, there was a split and basically Hamas took over Gaza and then eventually was elected 
in a fair election, by the way. The, the, the election was overseen by President Bush and by the United States, and the Gazan c- citizens actually voted for Hamas I- I- using a, a, an electoral process to vote them into office democratically. So it's a democratically elected leadership, believe it or not. But putting that aside, there's no occupation. So Obama's saying that Israel's Israel's occupation is unbearable, trying to then imply, like Guterres from the UN, that Israel's the one at fault. And Biden, uh, Obama also said the situation is complicated. That's a code word for saying Israel's culpable. When they say the situation is complicated, it's not complicated. It's incredibly, incredibly simple. Uh, a democracy called Israel, with people living freely, millions of Jews and millions of Arabs living side by side, Arabs represented in the Knesset. And then you had a terrorist organization invade and do all sorts of horrific atrocities, which we don't need to rehash now, but they really, really are indescribable, horrific, unspeakable. That is an incredibly simple scenario, the good guys and the bad guys. So anyone who says it's complicated, what they're trying to do is justify, and what they're trying to do is Uh, make Israel complicit. And Obama even said, he said, we're all complicit. And again, by saying we're all complicit, that's another way of saying Israel's complicit. I know it's incredible. Others have pointed this out. You know, Obama and others, right? All these people who are um, outraged about the innocent civilians, the loss of innocent civilians and the danger and the um, attack that's hurting innocent civilians as, as collateral damage in Gaza. You know, amazing how it's only when, this is a very, very important point uh, that others have made, uh, that uh, it's only when Israel, it's only when Jews are causing the civilian casualties that suddenly the world is outraged about Arab civilian, the Arab civilian population being collateral damage. Bashar al-Assad, he literally murdered, um, under Obama's watch, Bashar al-Assad of Syria, dictator, murdered like a million Syrians, a million innocent civilians. He gassed his own people, women and children, and... Obama did virtually nothing, virtually nothing. In fact, Obama actually helped Bashar al-Assad tamp down ISIS. He helped him suppress ISIS. Okay, ISIS were the ones rebelling against Bashar al-Assad. Not that ISIS were any good. But th- that's what's incredible. ISIS was actually, um, in a certain sense, they were actually protecting innocent civilians in Syria. I'm not defending ISIS. But, like, it actually helped Assad get rid of ISIS so that he could do more gassing of his own people. And he, he murdered literally one million Syrians, that wasn't collateral damage, by the way. He literally targeted them. The Israelis, they're targeting terrorists, and sometimes they miss because Hamas uses them as human shields, these these civilians. But under that, Obama did nothing. The Saudis murdered people. The Iranians murdered their own citizens, Afghanis. I mean, so many people murder innocent Arabs. They target them. It's not collateral damage, and and, and they do it to hundreds of thousands of, of innocent civilians. What Obama do? He gave these people mil, uh, billions of dollars. The, the the Iranians, the Saudis. So all these liberals, you know, all the Democrats who are like suddenly concerned about the innocent civilian loss of life in uh, in Gaza. Uh, where were they when that was going on and still continues to go on? But when it's done by Arabs, nobody seems to care. All right. Getting back to so a, a, a California. It's going to tell us any other news of the day here. A, a, a lawmaker in California, a Democrat a politician. She's actually running for city council of L.A., uh, she was arrested on suspicion of DUI, driving, driving under the influence. But she claimed that her erratic driving was due to a sneezing fit. Can't make this stuff up. She crashed into, I believe, two parked cars. And she gets out of the car and people are asking her if she's okay. What happened? And she's, yeah, she's fine. She just started to all of a sudden sneeze, out of control sneezing fit. Don't you hate it when you're in the car and you just start sneezing and sneezing? And then before you know it, you lose control and collide with two parked cars. This is Wendy Carrillo representing California's 52nd Assembly District, running against Kevin DeLeon. 
for the city council. Witnesses described they heard a bang and they saw it was such a strong crash that not only did her airbags deploy, but she went crashing back into the middle of the road. And she comes out of the car. She's gesturing that she's good. And one witness told ABC7 in L.A., she gets out of the car, and I'm a non-expert. This is what the witness says. But it was clear that she was intoxicated, at least to me, a non-expert. You could smell alcohol. She's slurring her speech. She's very impaired. And she literally, and she's saying, oh, I sneezed, I sneezed. I'm sorry about that. I lost control because I was sneezing. Meanwhile, they give her a sobriety test, and she she's like, I lost control when I was sneezing. And incredibly, she registered a high alcohol count, blood alcohol count, more than double the legal limit. That was literally confirmed by LAPD Captain Kelly Muniz and the LA Times. And later, she put out a statement. Now, she never actually mentioned the DUI, but she, you know, her story kind of fell apart there when kind of crumbled there with the sneezing, uh, the sneezing alibi when her blood alcohol count was twice the legal limit and she's slurring her words and she can't walk straight. They had to, like, help her. She she was, like, they gave her this, like, you know, the walking sobriety test and she she's tumbling over. They had to, police had to hold her up to keep her from falling down. I, maybe she was still sneezing when they were giving her the sobriety test. And, uh, the way, you know, where's the Babylon B headline? I could just feel it coming. So then she put out the statement and, again, neglected to mention the... Uh, but she takes full ownership over this, but doesn't mention the DOI. Quote, as a public servant, I'm aware I must adhere to a higher standard that demands personal accountability for my conduct. I accept responsibility for my actions. I sincerely apologize to my family, constituents, colleagues for any actions of mine that have fallen short of that expectation. I, in- I intend to seek the necessary help and support. I'm joining a support group for sneezers. I'm a compulsive sneezer. I'm going to join Sneezers Anonymous to make sure that I stop these sneezing fits. But uh, amazing how she's taking responsibility. I'm taking, and, and first of all, her whole statement is wrong. As a public servant, I'm aware I must adhere to a higher standard of personal account. No, you don't. That's a regular, we all have to adhere to that standard. It's called don't drive when your alcohol level, your blood alcohol level is twice the legal limit. In fact, don't drive after you take a sip of alcohol and then don't lie about it. And and it, it's very simple. What's with these Democrats and, like you know, remember Pelosi's husband? What's these Democrats and driving drunk? Just don't drive. Don't drink. Or if you drink, don't drive. It's not that complicated. But then don't give me this while you're taking personal accountability, except I'm not even telling you that I did this horrible, horrible thing and then I lied about it. So where's the personal accountability? In the statement where she claims to take personal accountability, she's not taking it. On Thursday, Biden's Department of Defense announced we're sending Ukraine more money. We're sending Ukraine an additional $425 million. Well, well, why not? Just keep sending them money. Zelensky, you know, he needs a new Mercedes. He needs a new BMW. He needs a new Tesla. Um, that's going to include munitions, anti-tank weapons. It's the, it's coming from the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. It's a contract relationship that the U.S. government has with defense companies to build or modify major weapon systems. Uh, incredible. These defense contractors. You know, so we have sent to Ukraine. They're busy fighting about 14 billion to Israel, which will actually help the United States. We have sent 110 billion dollars to Ukraine. 110 billion gotten nothing in inflation out of control and we're sending them 110 billion. It's, it's, um, somebody excuse that. Somebody go and justify that to me. We've got nothing in return unless your business partner is named Vladimir Zelensky or like that defense minister of Ukraine who pocketed how many, who knows how many millions. Unless you happen to be in business with Vladimir Zelensky, you've, then you're in good shape. Otherwise, you've got nothing out of this money. All right. So this incredible poll, stunning new poll. It's not surprising except that it came from the New York Times. It's not surprising. It's, it's exciting. Because Trump, in a head-to-head battle 
with Biden is winning five out of six key swing states. These are very necessary states. These states, whoever wins these states is almost certainly going to win the presidency. So there's a New York Times Siena poll. Trump has a healthy lead. Um, Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Trump has a significant lead, a healthy lead, you know, by the standards of these polls, especially for these states, which are such neck and neck states. And Wisconsin is the only one where Biden has a two point lead. I'm going to read you the numbers over here. But across six battlegrounds, all of these Biden carried in 2020, these are the the, the, the path to the presidency goes through these six states. So Biden is trailing Trump by an average of 48 percent to 44 percent. And there is major discontent. So let me read you the numbers over here. Nevada, Trump is winning by 10 percent. Georgia, 6%, Arizona, 5 Michigan, 5%, Pennsylvania, 4%. I don't know what they're talking about. They're saying, I think even this is, is skewed. They're saying 48 to 44% average, I guess because they're including Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Biden has a two-point two edge. But, but Trump in Nevada, 10%, Georgia, 6%, Arizona, 5%. But, you know, the problem with this poll is it, they only took the, the poll, they only asked living voters. They didn't ask any deceased voters. Sorry, I just, whatever, I shouldn't go there, but... Uh, discontent. Majority of voters say Biden's policies have personally hurt them. No kidding. Biden's lead among Hispanic voters is down to single digits. Women still favor Biden, but um, the gender uh, gap, so to speak, actually favors Trump because men prefer Trump by twice as much a margin, twice as large a margin as women favor Biden. So that reverses the gender advantage. That has helped Democrats in recent years. Black voters are registering 22 percent support for Trump in these states, which is unheard of, unprecedented in modern day politics. Trump has a 22 percent blacks like Trump over Biden. And that's that's a huge, a staggering number. And and there's no there's no question why, because black unemployment under Trump was at an all time low. They were working. They were succeeding. They had money. They had prosperity. And now because of Biden, even if you have a job. You cannot make ends meet. You cannot afford to pay the basic monthly rent and, 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 and buy basic groceries and go out to eat once in a while. So, of course, they don't. It doesn't matter even if they're black. They don't buy into this Biden nonsense where he tries to convince people that he's, you know, if you're not black, if you don't vote for Biden, you're not black. They, they just care about their, their pocketbook. They care about their bank account. Now, why is The New York Times doing this right now? Because, well, you're going to tell me, well, objectively, this is the poll numbers. They're actually being honest. And in the end, I don't buy it. I mean, how often do we see the polls skewing, especially New York Times polls? They always slant in favor of the Democrats. But it's very simple because the New York Times and the mainstream media, they want Biden out so badly. They're throwing Biden under the bus. They're doing everything. They know how big a liability he is. They know that literally, literally a coffee mug with a with a D on it. And this is not I'm not even this is not hyperbole even. I'm not talking about Kamala, but you just take a neutral Democrat right now. Anyone take a random Democrat nobody ever heard of. They're going to perform much better than Biden because Biden has so many negatives, so much baggage between the border and and the economy. People are furious and Afghanistan and, and Iran. People don't like Biden. People despise Biden. Democrats despise Biden. Some of them are going to vote for him because they just they refuse to ever vote for a Republican. And not Trump. Don't give me that. They refuse to vote for Trump. A anyone who would vote for Biden right now would vote for Biden against DeSantis or Nikki Haley or any of the candidates because they're, they're just they're totally delusional. Now, so the New York Times and you're going to see this more and more. The media they are going to pile it on to Biden because now they have a few weeks of a window here to still sneak in, whether it's Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama or some other Democrat, Joe Manchin. They'll take anybody. So that's what's really going on over here. They're trying to sabotage Biden. Very clear to me. 
Anthony Blinken gave a press conference. He went back to Israel on Friday and same old talking points really bothered me. Some of what Blinken said, because this is what they keep doing is they keep talking about the compassion, level of compassion. They keep talking about the horrors and the atrocities and how, how they stand with Israel. And they say all these right things. But then when it comes to actual practical results, then suddenly they're ready to throw Israel under the bus. So they talk about the humanitarian crisis. They pressure Israel for a pause and... They keep talking about a two-state solution. By the way, Trump had a two-state solution. The only realistic two-state solution was proposed by Trump and Jared Kushner, and it was shot down by the Democrats, of course, but that was a two-state solution where Israel retained sovereignty. The problem with the two-state solution is we have proven time and again it cannot work. Gaza was a two-state solution. That's what Gaza was. Let's give them back land, and let's see what they do with it. And we see what they do with it. They turned it into their own terror cesspool. So the only real two-state solution is where Israel retains control. That's something that would benefit the Palestinian people. They're all worried about Palestinian civilians. Best thing that could happen for the Palestinian population is that Israel has control because they're much, much more gracious and generous and helpful than the Palestinian government. Even Fatah, whether it's Fatah, whatever, it's just a bunch of terror groups running and, 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 and hoarding the, running the place as a, as a, as a wasteland and, and hoarding all the money for themselves. So Trump had a two-state solution. And uh, and then, you know, the, the most comical, but it, it's really sad, but it would be, it's almost laughable, part of Blinken's speech is he actually mentioned again, the president said don't. He's like, listen, Iran, we don't want to escalate the situation. The president said, he said don't. The president had a message for Iran. He said don't. He, remember President remember Biden, we've been making fun of this, and there's a listener of mine who reminds me of this all the time. Biden said don't. He didn't just say one don't. He said three don'ts. Don't, don't, don't. So, like, we, we, that's like a punchline for us. I hate to say it, but nobody cares. Iran doesn't care that President said don't. Blinken repeated it. Blinken, when he was talking about how Iran's afraid to de-escalate and we're hoping that Iran will do the right thing here. And remember, President had a message for Iran. He said don't. That was what, that's like what Blinken quoted. Doesn't he realize how absurd, you know, uh, the, the, that's a, the next Babylon B headline is, uh, Ayatollah finger on the button, ready to nuke America. And then here's Biden say, don't start shaking and backs off the, the ready. Uh, 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 the Ayatollah finger on the button. Here's Biden say, don't and immediately changes his plan, <laughs> immediately aborts the uh, the strike, the attack. It's unbelievable. And um, anyway, the, the, this uh, and, and then, by the way, Blinken had the audacity to say that the pause, he believes the pause could help lead to the release of hostages. This bothered me so much. They have no idea, unfortunately. And look, it's a tragic, tragic, I can't even really discuss it. It's it's just so, so, so painful to discuss, so painful to discuss. But it really bothered me. And the Red Cross, you know, my wife keeps telling me, I should have mentioned this earlier in the show, um, but um, the Red Cross, it's been disgraceful. They, they should be able to put more pressure on. There should be pressure on Hamas to allow in the Red Cross. And the Red Cross should be vocal and people should be screaming about this. And Biden and, and everyone on all sides should just be screaming every single day. Let in the Red Cross. Let in the Red Cross. It's inexcusable that they don't let in the Red Cross. But, um, but uh, you know, but, but Blinken then to say, you know, because they're asking about the hostages. He said, well, I think a pause actually might help um, get hostages out, help, help c- convince them to release hostages. Based on what? Based on what? They, they, they have no idea. They have no idea. And they keep using the hostages. And, and it's really very, very uh, upsetting and disturbing because they, you know, I'm worried they're giving people false hope. Um, all right. What else is going on over here? Yeah, more about how the Muslims are pressuring um, Biden over here. Just read you here a quote from The Daily Wire. As reports surface that members of the Muslim community say they might abandon voting for Biden because of his support of Israel. Uh, the Biden administration, as I said, launched this effort to counter Islamophobia. Now, 
supposedly they're so afraid that they're actually warning Israel that they're going to stop supporting the war. And I'm not surprised. It's only a matter of time until Biden and the Democrats turn on Israel. It's still very fresh. But in a few weeks when it's all forgotten, they're going to turn on Israel. So this is a quote here. Biden, Defense Secretary Lloyd Lloyd Austin and Anthony Blinken have all explicitly pressed in private conversations, pressured Israel, saying that eroding support is going to have dire strategic consequences for the IDF. On October 30th, Muslim leaders wrote a letter to Biden uh, vowing to withhold Muslim voter support for any candidate who does not advocate for a ceasefire. And two days later, um, we told you about this uh, this push for the you know the Islamophobia strategy. But now they're secretly telling Netanyahu and the Israeli government they're saying, "Listen, we don't know how much longer we can support this war effort." So let's keep an eye on that. Robert Malley, Robert, this is unbelievable. Robert Malley, he's been he, he's like a friend of Linda's house. So he's a very he's very pro-Palestinian. Robert Malley, he's been the special envoy to Iran who was negotiating the nuke deal with Iran for Biden. And for years, he was he he worked for Obama negotiating with Iran, but like he's very very radically left. Well, he was he's under criminal investigation by the FBI over the mishandling of classified documents, and he was accused of being linked to an Iranian spy ring that was operating to try to shift U.S. policy to favor Iran. Um, so and then he was, of course, removed from the negotiating team. But you know, it really is, and of course, Biden they unfroze the six billion dollars of Iranian money. And, um, you know, in that hostage swap and they say, no, Iran, they're only using the funds for humanitarian purposes. It's, it's just absurd. It's absurd to say that they're only using that money for humanitarian purposes. They're not using it to fund terror. Yeah, but it frees up all the money. They're going to you're going to track the six billion dollars and use the six billion dollars to buy supplies or who knows what else they're going to do. But then they're, they, they have other six billion that they were going to use for that, that they just use for, for, for terrorism. So it's just absurd. Um, a caller asked me, you know, he said, remember when you were you were telling the Republicans, Vote for Scalise to be the speaker. Vote for Tom Emmer. Uh, vote for Jim Jordan. He said, are, are we better off with Mike Johnson? Like, it, doesn't it turn out that this was the good, uh, you know, good outcome after all? You know, like, basically, the caller, if I understood correctly, was saying, do I regret saying we should put in Tom Emmer? I said, just put anybody in as long as they're Republican. Uh, and um, I said, Tom Emmer would be fine, Steve Scalise. And look at Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson seems to be more conservative than anybody. So that was the caller's point is, do we look back and now regret or do I regret saying put in Tom Ember because it turned out the outcome was much better? Look, very simple. Number one, yes, yes, this is a much better outcome. This is a much better outcome. Triple yes with the cherry on top, better outcome. No question about that. I'm not going to deny that. But at the time, we had no idea. So do I go back and say, if I had it all to over again, would I change? The problem is it could have, just as easily as Mike Johnson, it could have been nobody. And it could have still been searching for a speaker right now. Democrats could have figured out some shrewd way, strategic way to stick a Democrat in there, which is unlikely, but they were trying to plot for that. And, uh, you know, it it could have just been somebody super moderate. So it's very hard to think that way. Yes, in hindsight, of course, everyone has 20-20 hindsight, as they say. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case on bump stocks. We've told you about bump stocks for years, and I guess this will be the last thing we get into over here for today, but um, the Supreme Court is going to rule on whether Trump's ban on bump stocks was legal. And I'll explain a little bit about the legality in a moment. We've been through this before, but it's been a long time. But I just want to mention again, Trump did more for gun control than Biden or the Democrats ever did, than Obama ever did. Trump banned bump stocks, among other things. And Trump did several things for gun control. The NRA was not happy with Trump. But my point is, whether you agree or disagree, I think banning bump stocks was a good thing. I think Trump made the right move. But he gets no credit when you hear them talking about how Trump was in the pocket of the NRA. Trump had to actually fight with the NRA, resist the NRA, their pressure, and they gave him lots of money. 
they give the Republicans lots of money. But uh, that's not even the point. The point is that Trump felt it was the right thing to do. He, he had no political benefit. And then they go and talk about how Trump policies are what lead to mass shootings. And it's not true. It's a lie. And it turns out, and I don't know why the Republicans don't push this more. I guess they don't want to offend the NRA. But like, yes, Republicans have done more for gun control than Democrats. And Trump did it because of his conscience. And he gets zero credit. Zero credit. Now, the issue with bump stocks is this. Obama considered bump stocks essentially, they use, they harness the recoil. It's like something that you add on to an AR-15 to a rifle. And it may, it turns it into basically an automatic type of weapon from semi-automatic to automatic because you can basically keep your finger on the trigger instead of having to keep firing and keep um, pressing the trigger. Basically, it harnesses the recoil without getting into the nitty gritty, which I honestly, I don't even fully understand myself. But um, it harnesses recoil so you can just keep your finger, basically allows a person to shoot much quicker. It's an automatic type of rifle. Turns up, turns, it's not exactly automatic, but that, it's that style shooting. So it turns an AR-15 from semi-automatic to automatic and... The Las Vegas shooter used it, and it's just a horrific thing. And, you know, what exactly is the purpose of it other than to do bad things? Or, or at least that's the, you know, th- that's going to be generally what it's used for. So Trump decided to ban it. Now, Obama considered banning it, and Obama's advisors said don't ban it because uh, be- because they said it's not an automatic weapon. There's an automatic, there's a ban on automatic weapons, a federal ban, but uh, they said this is not a weapon. It's an accessory. That's the debate. The debate is, is this considered a- an actual machine gun, a weapon, or is this considered a... Because they banned guns, they didn't ban accessories. So the argument is this is an accessory. Now, Trump has already won in a couple of different court battles. Now it's going to Supreme Court. But the point is, Obama said, no, let's not ban this thing. Why? Why not ban it? If you think it's a bad thing, that's what Trump strips it, ban it, and then we'll defend it in court. What's the worst that can happen? He gets shot down. What's the worst that can happen is the Supreme Court overturns the ban. Why did Obama, if he cares so much about gun control, then why not ban it? And I have no answer for that. But but um, that, to me, is disgraceful, that Obama gets zero blame for not banning bump stocks and trying to do it. Then Trump did it. It won in court several times. We'll see. The Supreme Court may, they may strike it down. You know, they're, they're pretty conservative, the Supreme Court. I'm curious myself. But at least try. Trump is trying. If you believe that that's the right thing to do, then try. Trump did. Obama didn't. That tells you everything you need to know about Obama. And, of course, Trump gets zero credit. I guess it'll take a few months until they actually hear the trial. Until they hear the arguments, we'll keep you updated on that. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.